Well, guys, we are at the end of this series. Uh, this is the last Sunday. And honestly, man, it kind of flew by for me. It, it seems like it just was all over. And, and uh, there's just a part of me that thinks that we just barely scratched the surface in regards to this topic. Um, but hopefully what has been talked about so far has had impact on you. Uh, knowing our Father is such an important thing to life. It's what we were created for. Um, it's what we were created to enjoy. Remember, that's what eternal life is. It's knowing God the Father and His Son, Jesus. And Jesus came here to this earth to provide us with that. And so hopefully we are learning more and more and to engage in it. Well, today I was asking uh, the Lord what, not today, but this week, asking the Lord what, we're, what He wanted me to talk about today. And uh, He led me to a well-known parable. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Luke to chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And I think it's very appropriate that we're ending this series in one of the best books of the Bible, uh, the book of Luke. So it makes, makes complete sense. Luke chapter 15, and uh, this is parable is often called the, the parable of the prodigal son. And uh, we're only actually going to have time to focus on half of it today. I won't be able to talk about the second half. But who here has ever heard of the parable of the prodigal son? Okay, got going to ask this question too. I've asked first and second. Nobody's on my side. Has anybody, does anybody call it the prodigal son? You know the proper way to pronounce it is prodigal son? Prodigal, it's a G. You don't want to know when I found that out? This week. <laughs> I was reading, I'm like, it's prodigal? I always thought it was prodigal. But, so I'm going to probably say prodigal because I'm not that quick of a learner. But uh, that's, uh, my staff always makes fun of me because I butcher words, and apparently they say that the proper way to pronounce, I always say miracle. Does anybody say miracle? <laughs> proper way is miracle. <laughs> but I've always said miracle. And they, they say I overemphasize God. I'm like, God. But uh, if you never noticed that, now you're going to finally notice it, and it's going to bother you, and you're going to have to you know, just check out. But to, to set up this story, uh, we, we need to know the context to which Jesus is speaking. Um, because it seems, if you ever notice, when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will notice that wherever Jesus is, there's usually a bunch of sinners surrounding him. Um, wherever he was, they, they wanted to be with him. They, they surrounded him. They crowded around him. Uh, they couldn't get enough of him. And if you notice, Jesus never sends them away. He never says, get out of here, you bunch of sinners. He doesn't do that. He, he engages with them. He spends time with them. And, you know, this really, really bothered the Pharisees. It bothered the teachers of the law, and they didn't like that. And so they began to mutter amongst themselves, and they're just kind of like, this guy's, you know, I can't believe it. He welcomes sinners. He eats and drinks with sinners. I mean, it's just terrible. What a horrible, disgusting thing to do. And Jesus hears what they're saying, and so he begins to tell them a story. In fact, actually, he, he tells them three different stories, and he starts off telling them about a story of a shepherd who one of his sheep gets lost, and so he leaves his entire flock to go find that lost sheep, and he finds it, and he brings it back rejoicing. He then talks about a woman who lost a coin, and so she ended up sweeping and cleaning her entire house looking for this coin, and when she found it, she, was, she rejoiced for it. And then he ends with this last story about a lost son, the parable of the product. Gull, son. And this, this is what it says. It says, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. 
So he divided his property between them. Okay, it starts out with a man had two sons, and I know I'm going to be talking about sons a lot today, but ladies, I don't want you to check out of the conversation because this applies to daughters as well. Okay, you can plug yourself into this story even though it's talking about sons. But apparently there were two sons, and the youngest son wanted to get out of Dodge. I mean, he, he wanted out of there, so he comes to his dad, and he says, I mean, this had to be kind of a rude thing to do. He's like, Father, listen, rather than sit around and wait for you to die to get my inheritance, can I have my inheritance now? Can I have that? And I just want to get out of here. Now, if you notice in the story, Jesus does not give us the details as to why the son wants to leave, why he wants his inheritance early. We don't know the relationship between the son and the father. And actually, I think that's actually kind of a cool thing in the story because we can kind of plug in whatever we want into this story. We can read into this story this way. You know, because the reality is sometimes a relationship between a son or a daughter and a father is pretty complex. There's a lot of things going on. Could it be that this, this son had all emotionally already checked out of this relationship even though he hasn't physically checked out? Could it be possibly that the father had done something that the son didn't agree with and not being able to understand the father's actions he was somehow hurt and offended and that turned into anger and resentment and he just wanted nothing to do with his dad could it also be that maybe the son had all these preconceived ideas of who his father was and because of those ideas it it prevented him from drawing close to his father and he just wanted to stay away we don't know But whatever the case, the son wanted to get out of there, wanted nothing to do with doing life with the father. All he wanted was his father's money, and so he demands his inheritance. Now, we also don't know, the story doesn't tell us, but we can assume that the father's heart was probably hurt in this whole process, that I'm sure he was broken. But he he does what his son asks. He divides the, the property. He gives the younger son his inheritance. And it goes on to say, not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So not long after getting his inheritance, he, he gets everything that he has, and he basically says, all right, see you, I'm out of here. And he splits, and he goes away to, it says, a distant, faraway country, far away from dad. I mean, apparently, he wanted to get as far away from his dad as possible. And and I can picture the father watching his son getting all his belongings and starting to walk away. I can imagine the father just just heartbreaking, saying, am I ever going to see my son again? His father probably was wondering, you know, what's going to happen to the son? Because he had to have known that his son was going to face some very difficult times and he'd no longer be there to, to, to help him. But he let his son go because that was what his son chose to do and he watched his son walk away. And as it always goes, the son ends up going to this faraway country, squandering all of his wealth, partying up, living it up. I mean, in his mind, this is the life. His father is literally the last thing on his mind. He has put his father out of his mind, and he's focused on himself, and he is living it up. And that's what he does for a while. But eventually, the money runs out, and the the well runs dry, and to make matters worse, a severe famine hits the country, and pretty soon, that son finds himself in a world of hurt, and he is in desperate, desperate need. So it says, he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. 
He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So this son gets this job, and it's not really that sweet of a job. I mean, he, he gets a job feeding pigs. And the son is so hungry, and he's in such need that the food that he was feeding the pigs actually started to look good to him. He actually wished he could eat the, the pig's food. And notice it says, but no one gave him anything. I don't know if the, who that's talking about. I think it's talking about the pigs. He's probably there like, get out of here. This is our food. <laughs> and he couldn't any, get anything. Now, I want to stop here for a second, and I want to say this. You know, Jesus didn't just tell this story for the sake of telling a story. He told the story because he wanted his listeners to see themselves in this story. And, and I want us to do the same thing. Because you see, there may be some of us who are here today who, like this son, we've somehow misunderstood our Heavenly Father. Somehow something happened in our life and we blame Him for it and we find ourselves incredibly angry at Him. We don't understand why He does what He does. And and in our misunderstanding, in our ignorance, in our anger, we have run as far away as we can from Him and we find ourselves in a distant country as far away from our Heavenly Father as we can be. And we want nothing to do with Him. We want, we want to live our life the way we want to live it. And so we do. And life seems pretty great at first. I mean, there's no accountability, there's no rules, there's no structure. We just do as we please, whenever we please. And we enjoy this wild living apart from God. But if you've ever done that for any amount of time, you will find that life eventually runs out. And you will find yourself living in a place of famine. You will find yourself experiencing a dryness and and an emptiness and and a void in your life that just cannot be filled. And in trying to fill that void, in trying to fill that emptiness, the next thing you know, you will have sunk so deep, so low, that you find yourself experiencing a life about as fulfilling as feeding a herd of pigs. And to make matters worse, you you find yourself longing for the things pigs want. You've sunk so low that pig slop, the garbage of this world, seems appealing to you in some weird way. Because you're so broken, so empty, it seems like that's something that you want. And if you've ever found yourself in that type of situation, you'll know it's about the lowest you can get. The enemy has brought you so low and life is so dark, you find yourself in the company of swine and you want what they want. You find yourself participating in eating in pig slop. You've sold yourself to the world of darkness and given yourself to so many and so often and you feel so dirty and so disgusting, you don't even feel human anymore. Your humanity almost seems lost. You you feel subhuman. And it's a very dark place to be. And, and you know what? Interestingly enough, what begins to happen in that situation is that you may even begin to think that that's all there is. You're stuck. You've made too big of a mistake. You, you've screwed up too bad. You've made too big of a mess in your life. And you know what? There's no turning back now. Living with swine is the best you have to look forward to. And there may be someone here today who... That's kind of how you feel, just like this younger son. And you feel like there's just no hope. Well, I want you to listen to me, and I need you to hear this. 
Because this is the beauty of this story. There is hope. This story doesn't end here. Thankfully, and I mean thankfully, this younger son, his thoughts return back to his father. He starts thinking about dad again. And it says in verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I'm starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to his father. When he came to his senses, it says. In other words, he finally started thinking correctly. And when he finally started thinking correctly, third service, who does he think about? His dad. His thoughts returned to his father. You know, the one he wanted to get away from. The one who all he wanted was his money. The one he abandoned years ago because of how he felt about him. But he starts thinking about his father again. And you know what, third service, I think that is the first step to coming back home again. The first step to finding our way back home is to begin thinking about our father. Stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about your heavenly father. Now, why would I say that? Here's why. Because your heavenly father is the one who gives you your sense of worth. He's the one who imparts your identity. He's the one who declares who you are. Everything you are, your entire identity comes from the heavenly father. So when you begin to turn your thoughts toward the Father, you're turning to the correct place to find your identity. Because I'll tell you and I'll warn you, you can't find your identity in anything else. You can't find it in riches. You can't find it in friendships. You can't find it in a status, your, your status. You can't find it in your job or what you do. You can't find it in what you wear or how you look. You can't find it in anything else other than God the Father himself. Amen? He's the one who declares who you are. So guys, turning your thoughts towards him is the first step. And that's what this younger son does. He starts thinking about dad. Now I want you to see what the second thing the younger son does. He goes, I will set out, go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven and against you. You see that? What does the younger son do? He admits his mistake. He admits his failure, and he confesses his failure to his father. Second step to finding our way back home, guys, is a heart of repentance. Now, actually, this is where we start to have problems. Because for most of us, our pride keeps us from coming to this step. We don't want to admit our failure. We don't want to admit that we've made the wrong choices. We don't want anybody to tell us, I told you so. So in our pride, what we often do is we just stay in our situation. We continue to grovel in the darkness. But I'll tell you, if you begin to think about your father, you're going to start to begin to see that he's right and that you're wrong. And you will come to your senses and you will admit that you can't do life without him. And your heart will come to a place of repentance. And guys, I want to just say, every single one of us in this room must come to this point in our life. Admitting 
that he's right and we're wrong. And even if we don't understand him, even if we don't know what he's doing, he's right and we're wrong. And if we want to experience real life, we will come to him humbly and without our pride. And so this younger son, he makes the correct first step step in beginning to turn his thoughts towards his father. He makes this correct second step in coming to a place of repentance. But in this next move, he makes a mistake. I want you to notice what he says. He goes, I will set out, go back to my father and say to him, Father, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Do you see the mistake he made, third service? Can you spot it? Here's his his mistake. He speaks on behalf of the father in that he runs ahead of his father and begins to set his own identity. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. I will be a hired servant. He speaks out of turn and declares his own identity. I will be a hired servant. Now, I don't know if you knew this or not, but a hired servant was on the bottom of the totem pole. If you were a slave in the family, you were kind of, in a sense, part of the family. You had a place to live. You, were, you had a sense of belonging. A hired servant, they were people that you could discard at the end of the day if you didn't like them. And this is what the son declares himself to be way down here. And you know, he's not unique in that. We do that all the time, don't we? In our place of darkness, we feel so beat down, so worthless, that we actually believe we don't have any worth. We actually believe that we don't have any belonging. So we begin to construct our own identity. And we start to declare who we are. We start to declare who we are. And we start to say things that that just aren't true. We start to say, I'm worthless. I have no value. I'm unwanted. I'm a waste of time. And I could literally go on and on with all the names and identities that we give ourselves. The names and identities that the enemy likes to jump on and drive you to the ground with. But tell me, third service, tell me, who is the only one who can truly declare our identity? The Father. Our Heavenly Father. We don't make that declaration. The Father does. We don't. So the third step to finding our way back home is to let the Father declare our identity. And so the son heads back home to his father. And I I can imagine the whole way back, the son is, you know, probably rehearsing this speech in his mind, going, okay, this is what I'm going to say. Hey, hey, Dad. No, I probably better not say Dad. I'm just a little too personal. Uh, you know, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say he's probably working out in his mind. You know how we do that? You know how when we have something important to say, we kind of practice it in the mirror or something like that? <clears throat> I remember when I was asking my father-in-law uh, if I could marry his daughter. And, uh, you know, I was kind of practicing in my mind what I was going to say. And so what my, the idea that I did is I took him out to play tennis. And I let him beat me like five or six games. You know, I was probably playing left-handed, something like that. No, actually, he clobbered me, like whooped me. I was trying to beat him because I wanted to prove I was worth marrying his daughter, but he beat me. And so I took him, you know, we were in my truck, and we, we pulled into Sonic. Has everybody been to Sonic? This was kind of like a drive-up, and we're sitting in the truck. And I thought I'd buy him some cherry limeade, you know, to kind of 
make them happy. And we're sitting there, and in my mind, I'm like, just ask him, Luke, just ask him, just ask him, you know, just ask him, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm in my mind. Finally, I got up the nerve, and I turned to him, I said, Mr. Watson, um, there's something I want to ask you. And he goes, oh, yeah, what's that? And this is a true story. I turned to him, I go, I'd like to marry your daughter. <laughs> my voice completely cracks. I'm trying to sound like a man, and I'm like, I'd like to marry your daughter. And he starts laughing. He goes, well, you're not going to marry my daughter if you talk like that. <laughs> so all my planning and everything just flew out the window. But I can imagine the son's doing the same thing. He wanted to word what he was going to say perfectly. You know, it's funny how we do that, isn't it? We do that to God all the time. and We don't even realize we're doing it. We, we try to manipulate him as if he could be manipulated. So many times when we pray, we try to word what we're going to say in such a way that it would convince God to do something that we want him to do. And it's silly, but we do it. And that's what this son is about to do as well. Well, let's see what happens. It says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. While he was still a long way off. Tell me, third service, what does this tell us about the father? He was looking for him. He was watching for him. I can imagine every day the father coming to the window and looking out, looking down the road to see if he could see his son coming back. I can imagine the father sitting on the porch, looking at the road, staring at the road, hoping beyond all hope that his son would be walking towards the house. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. You see, that father never stopped thinking about his son. Never. Like, like you read in Psalms 139, your heavenly father's thoughts towards you are as numerous as the grains of sand on the seashore. Your heavenly father never stops thinking about you. Now you may stop thinking about him, but he never stops thinking about you. Well, this, this father sees his son in the distance and he, and he recognizes the shape and he recognizes the gait of his walk. And he's probably like, am I seeing things? Am I seeing what I'm seeing? He, and he goes, that's, that's my son. And notice what he does. Actually, before we talk about that, let's notice what he doesn't do. Notice he, he doesn't stand on the edge of the porch with his arms crossed and like, well, looky who showed up groveling before me now. Notice he doesn't go back into his house and lock the door. Notice he doesn't yell out to his son and say, hey, you might as well turn it right back around because you're not welcome here. No, what does he do? He runs, runs to his son. His heart is so overwhelmed with compassion, he runs to his son, and he throws his arms around him, and he gives him a big kiss. I don't know about you, but as a father, I can picture that. And this is probably saying, son, I've been waiting for you. I've been longing for you. I can't believe it. You. I can't believe I have you in my arms. And I can't imagine how the son must have felt. I'm sure he most certainly did not expect that kind of greeting. 
And so I can imagine, kind of in shock, this is where the son kicks into his rehearsed speech. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And I want you to notice here what the father does. Let me ask you, third service, was the son done with his speech? No. He hadn't got to the hired servant part yet. And what does his father do? Cuts him off. And his late father says, shh, 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 just quiet, quiet. Hey, guys, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf. Kill it. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate. For this son of mine, notice this who? This son of mine was dead and he's alive again. This son of mine was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. Now I want you to notice what the father does here. He puts a robe on him. He puts a ring on him. He puts sandals on him. He kills the fattened calf and they celebrate. Now at first glance that may seem, yeah, he was excited to see his son, but there's more to it and Jesus was trying to make a point. In that day and age, a robe stood for honor. And that father was saying, son, I honor you. I'm putting a robe of honor you, honor on you because you are my son. And he said, you know what? Give me this ring. I want to put this ring on your finger because ring showed a sign of authority. In a sense, he was giving him power of attorney, saying, you're part of this family. You have authority. You are my son. And he says, give this man sandals. Now, I don't know if you knew this or not, but sandals, children wore sandals, slaves went barefoot. In fact, the early American slaves, in one of the songs that they would sing, the spirituals that they would sing, a line in their song, they would say this, they would sing it out, and they say, all of God's children got shoes. All of God's children got shoes. Now, why did they sing that? Because it represented their freedom in the family of God. They were children not slaves. And to slaughter the fattened calf, guys, that represented how special of an occasion this was. This wasn't just any, you know, little party. This was a special occasion. And a calf was only killed in in a special occasion. And it provided meat for 50 or more guests. I mean, so this was a big party. And that celebration demonstrated the heart of the father. He didn't say, I told you so. He said, no, this son was dead and now he's alive. This, this son was lost and now he's found. Let's celebrate. I want to stop here for a second because this thought came to my mind before first service. You know, the son at this point, he could have, he could have resisted. He says, no, 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 dad. Thanks, but no. Um, I don't deserve this and, and I only deserve to be a hired servant. So yeah, no, I thank you for saying that, but no. The son could have resisted that. And you know what? A lot of times we do that. The Father declares who we are, and we sit there and we resist him. We say, no, 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 thanks, God, thanks, I, I get it, whatever, but no, I still believe I'm a hired servant. I'm still worthless. I'm still not good enough. I'm still damaged goods. I'm all this. I'm not that. And we resist what the Father has to say. But the Son didn't do that. He stepped into his father's identity, and they celebrated. Amen? Now, why is this story important? Well, remember the setting. Jesus is being accused of hanging out with sinners, and the Pharisees are coming down pretty hard on him for that. 
And so Jesus tells these stories to show or reveal the heart of God the Father. And when you look at this story, what does it tell us about the heart of the Father? Quite a bit, actually. God the Father, it appears, is very fond of sinners. Now, of course, he's not fond of their sin, but he sure is of the sinner himself. The father, in this parable of the prodigal son, obviously was grieved over his son's decisions. Obviously, he didn't endorse the son's actions. Obviously, he didn't overlook the son's reckless living. Any father would be upset by the actions of the younger son. But Jesus wants us to understand that even the worst of our sins, listen to me here, even the worst of our sins will not prevent God from loving us. And it will not stop God for longing for our return back to him. It won't stop him from doing that. The father's heart is for you, his daughter. The father's heart is for you, his son. And he wants you to enjoy him. He wants you to know him. He wants to do life with you. And so I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you've run away from the Father. I don't know if you're ignoring the Father, if you're not on speaking terms with Him. I don't know. But here's what I do know. The Father longs for you. He longs for you. You know, in Isaiah, it says that He waits to be gracious to us. He longs to show mercy to us. So that tells us that He longs for your return to him. And it breaks his heart that you're away having to endure life in this dark world. It breaks his heart that you believe you're worth nothing more than a hired hand. It breaks his heart because that's not who you are. You're not worthless. You're not, you, you're not this, this piece of scum of the earth. You're not damaged goods. You are a daughter. You are a son. And true life is meant to be lived with our Father. And so he longs for you to come home and truly get to know him and get to know his heart. And third, third service, I just want to say this. As we wrap up the series, if nothing else has stood out to you, if nothing has affected or impacted you in this entire series, at least let this stick in your hearts. Your Father's heart towards you is a heart of love. It's a heart of love. And he's not a distant God. He's not an angry God. He's not a mean God. No, he's a loving, gentle father who longs for you to come home to him and do life with him. My heart cry for you this morning is to turn your hearts toward him. Give up your stupid pride that keeps you away from him. Be willing to admit your failures and come back home. And I promise you, I promise you, you will find a father sitting on the porch who's waiting for you. He's looking for you. He hasn't stopped thinking about you. And you don't need to develop or come up with this really good return speech. You don't need to try to manipulate him into accepting you. Not at all. No, what you will find is a father who will run to you. And he will wrap his arms around you. And he's going to plant one big kiss on you. Because he loves you. 
more than you could ever imagine. And he longs for you to be his child, to live as a child, not as a hired slave. Why some? We need our father. Let's stop doing life without him. And let's live out what Jesus came to give us. And what is that? Eternal life. Amen?